I'm standing very close by to this thing, which is about ready to blow up, I think. There's a pool of water, very shallow, about six meters in diameter, and then in the center, like the pupil of an eye, is a very, very dark, deep pool, about one and a half meters in diameter. It's black, and the water in that is swirling around. The steam is rising very fast. The water is churning. That's what they call this, the churn, or stroka. That's the name of this particular feature. There's lots of other people standing around with cameras poised, waiting for it to explode. Whoa! There it goes. That's about 50 meters into the air. Great big giant shoot straight up. Wow! That, that deep dark hole in the center is emptied. It's now filling up again really, really quickly with a gorgeous blue water. And now it's full again. <laughs> ready to churn a little bit more for another few minutes before another explosion. Wow, just shot straight up. That pool in the centre formed a bit of a dome for a split second and then boom. There it goes again. Wow, straight up. <laughs> Suddenly you get this sort of impetuous bubbling of water and then poof. And then, and then the puddle's filling up again. Wow. Wow. Here I am, Adam Smith, right next to the Stroka Giza. I'm here in Iceland to uh, find out what is going on underneath the Earth's crust here. Welcome to Pod Academy. If there's one man who can answer probably all of my questions about what's going on in Iceland underneath my feet, he's here. In this building, very close to the harbour side, in a small fishing town called Stikisholmer, a couple of hours' drive north of Reykjavik. This building is painted red, the colour of lava. Let's go inside. Adam. Oh. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Well, I'm, I'm Haraldur Sigurdsson, and I'm born here in Stikisommer. And uh, I, I have been a professor of geology uh, in the United States for about 35 years. And uh, I've carried out research on volcanoes uh, all over the world. West Indies, Indonesia, Italy, uh, Africa, uh, and uh, elsewhere. 
Why is Iceland so volcanic? Well, it's, it's, uh, it sits on top of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, where the plate boundary occurs, and also it is a hotspot. It's an area in the upper mantle that, where there is a greater degree of melting than in the rest of the mantle. So, so it does get more magma to the surface than most other parts of the world, or all, all other parts of the world. So that's why it's so, so specially yeah, volcanic. Yeah, yeah. I went to the Geyser the other day, mm-hmm. and Stroka. Yeah. It was very, very impressive to me. We don't have anything like that in England. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what happens there? Well, the uh, uh, Geyser uh, is a, a type of a hot spring. There are a number of those uh, in Iceland. And uh, we have different types of hot spring areas. We have a low temperature, which is in the 100 degrees uh, or less, 100 degrees centigrade, or we have high temperature areas that are two to 300 degrees centigrade. And in any way, in, uh, in, in, in the geyser, uh, there's a cavity uh, uh, within the earth, or a few tens of meters or 100 meters down, and the water collects in that cavity. Uh, that's, uh, uh, because of its depth, it's under pressure. Uh, the water is uh, increasing in temperature, and it reaches a boiling point. But uh, because of the pressure, uh, there's a certain amount of uh, superheating of the curves. And then uh, uh, the water uh, begins to rise, and then the pressure decreases, and then all of a sudden you get flash boiling. So you get a, a lot of gas formation, a steam formation, and that ejects a column of water out and forms a geyser. Mm-hmm. Then the, the cycle starts again. That's good for the tourists. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Just from your long time looking at volcanoes, have you ever been worried when you've been standing next to a volcano? Have you ever been scared? Mm-hmm. Certainly, yes. There are many instances when I've been working on a particular volcanic eruption that you're close to the volcano or on the volcano, and you have to be very careful uh, and um, and you know take precaution. So, yeah. What sort of precautions can you take? Um, get away. <laughs> stay stay far away. Yeah. But then, of course, your curiosity uh, draws you near, and uh, you also maybe involved in some measurements or some, uh, some uh, program of uh, analysis or sampling that brings you close in. So uh, you, know, you have to make a judgment as to uh, how, you can, how close you can go and how long you can stay near you know, in that area. Is there any particular time when, at a specific volcano where you've been in that dilemma of curious but also scared and you've had to make that decision for example in uh, on the volcano called La Soufrière in St. Vincent in the West Indies in 1979 I was uh, uh, on the volcano when pyroclastic flows started to be generated is that the big cloud That's of right. ash? ash and gases that flows down the flanks of the volcano like an avalanche uh, except it's 200 degrees temperature or more and moves very fast and fortunately, I was on ridges that uh, were higher than the flows, so I, I was safe. On the same volcano, I, uh, in 1971, I, uh, 
I was working on the crater lake and all of a sudden the crater lake started to boil and I had a new island formed in the crater lake and I went out with a boat onto the lake to get samples from the island uh, when the lake was 93 degrees centigrade, so that was scary. So yeah, there have been cases like that, but um, it's part of the job. Yeah, yeah. And I continue to do that, but uh, in uh, my spare time I'm uh, running the Volcano Museum in, in Sticky Solnberg. And it looks like you have someone who you, yeah. <laughs> you need to you ask for a mission price. <laughs> So, what have you built here? Well, the Volcano Museum is housed in a, a more than a hundred year old building here in Stikisholmur, and uh, it houses the collection that I've acquired over 40 years uh, from all over the world. It's an international uh, collection of uh, art and items that relate to important volcanic eruptions. That's kind of how I started uh, w with the art, because I started to see uh, in the uh, old eruptions, uh, eruptions that had taken place a long time ago, uh, where you didn't have any photographic material, had very little do documentation, but you often had some art. And in the art, you can get an idea of what's going on. Uh, on the bottom we have uh, two illustrations of Krakatau volcano. And one shows the volcano before and the other one after the eruption of 1883. Mm -hmm. And so it gives us a lot of information about that from the artwork. Right, because so we the... We don't have photographs, but we do have, uh, you know, good artwork. And the, the top one shows a sort of a, a perfect mountain, if you like, mm -hmm. and then the bottom one shows that it, it looks like it's, it's had the, the top lopped mm -hmm. off. Yeah, it's collapsed. It's collapsed. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that's a very important uh, feature. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's how I started uh, becoming interested and started to collect this, uh, in a way. The artwork ranges from 1500s to the 20, 21st century. Uh, there's quite a bit of emphasis on Iceland, but uh, also on Italy and Indonesia, uh, uh, Caribbean, uh, Mexico, Japan, and uh, it's a global, it's an international view of how artists have seen volcanic activity through the ages. So is it more of an art gallery or a museum? Uh, I don't like to be pigeonholed uh, in that sense. Uh, I think that it, it, the beauty of it is that it doesn't really f fit into any simple description. Can you show me a couple of your favorite pieces then? Well, this piece here is our oldest, and it's from 1551. It's from the, one of the earliest books published, and it's, uh, 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 it shows Hekla volcano erupting in 1551. Hekla in Iceland. Hekla in Iceland. And, of course, at that time, Hekla was uh, very important in the Middle Ages uh, because uh, it was believed that it was the gateway to hell. And uh, so there's a lot of mythology about Hekla. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and here's another view of Hekla uh, up here. It shows uh, Hekla volcano, when it erupts, often splits along its length with a three-kilometer-long fissure that opens up and erupts along its length. And there are three, and, and three have, plumes coming right, from Right, and you get three craters, yeah. or, and finally usually one that is active. But it starts with a long curtain of fire. Uh, uh, 
in, in the eruption. How, old, how, how active is Hecla today? It's, uh, it, it's, uh, it erupted in the year 2000, and it's an active volcano, but it's not erupting right now. Could it erupt any time soon? Oh, yes. Could you tell me about this one? This is the nearest to where we are, right? Okay, the, well, yes, this is Snæfellsjökull, uh, uh, the, the volcano, uh, well, the most famous volcano in Iceland, probably, but uh, certainly the most famous volcano on the Snæfellsnes Peninsula, although it's not the most active one. Um, but uh, it is a, it's an unusual volcano for Iceland because it's, it's conical shape. Most of the volcanoes in Iceland, the big ones, are elongated, like an overturned boat, because they're built on fissures. But this one is built on a circular conduit or pipe, and so it has this perfect conical shape. And because of that, there's a lot of uh, well attraction to people and uh, kind of magnetic uh, magnetic uh, landscape. And because you grew up here, presumably this was one of the first volcanoes that you started to well, look at? Well, not really, because uh, the volcanoes just outside town, there, uh, there are so many on this peninsula, so I started to, to, to look at some ones that are much closer by here, and that certainly was one that was uh, important. What, what do you think drew you to them? Why were you so well, interested? The, the, just the general landscape, you know, the, uh, it becomes when you start to travel in, or walk around to hike in the area and then you immediately uh, see the, you know, the great landscape and you start to wonder about what created it and so you, you want to study it and uh, so one thing follows another Do you remember how old you were when you first Probably In my early teens yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Did you just go and walk around them and have a look? That's right Yeah and you know we have kids like that today there's an 11 year old boy who comes in here regularly just to look around and uh, he brings in rocks and he's uh, you know he's got his own ideas about uh, what's going on and uh, he's uh, so it's great to see kids taking interest in that yeah and uh, it's kind of a natural thing when you live in this type of environment could you tell me more about this map here because this is where we are now and it's it's sort of about what four or five meters long and it looks like it's detailing the lo- all the different kinds right. of rock. Yeah, the idea is to offer here uh, information for visitors to this Snæfellsnes area. Snæfellsnes is a volcanic zone that is uh, quite different because it's perpendicular to the other volcanic zones in Iceland. And it's, uh, but it does have this uh, in a small area. You have all of the geologic formations you have in the rest of Iceland, very accessible. And so what we've done here is we've, uh, uh, in addition to the geologic map, we've identified 62 localities that are the most interesting localities in this region and uh, explain on these iPads, uh, the, uh, in, in, in pictures and maps and text, uh, the, uh, uh, the main features of each one of these 62 places for, for visitors to to research before they go out in the field. This must have taken a lot of work to put this together. Yeah, that's right. It took a lot of work, and uh, we're going to put it on uh, as an app. Uh, so you can go out there in the field and you can look it up. Uh, How many people worked on this? Just two of us. Really? Mm-hmm. Just two? Yeah, I did, uh, I, I did all the 
composing of the text and and and, uh, and gathered all the photos and uh, and then I got a, you know, a designer to do the layout. Let, let, let's carry on. I was wondering whether you could tell me a little bit more about in this yes. cabinet here. Well, this is uh, Indonesia. Indonesia is the most volcanically active part of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, with 150 active volcanoes, and there's always an eruption going on there some, uh, at, at any time, uh, every, every day. So even right now, any time? Yeah, uh, every day, yeah. And so we have, uh, in this collection, we have a focus on Tambora volcano that erupted in 1815, and that's the biggest volcanic eruption on the Earth. And that uh, we measure the size of the eruptions by the volume of magma that is produced, and we measure that in cubic kilometers. And this eruption produced uh, 100 cubic kilometers. And it, it led to, uh, immediately to a death of 120,000 people in Indonesia. And it also led to a global climate change because of the gases that came out uh, that produced a big aerosol cloud that a veil, a veil all around the Earth that backscattered solar radiation from the Earth uh, away from the Earth for about three years causing global cooling. So that's a very, very important eruption, and what, I've what, done a lot of work on that. Yeah, what work did you do there then? Well, I did uh, the field work on the area to uh, establish the, the distribution of the deposits and uh, determine the volume of the uh, deposit, how much came out, and also the, uh, the mechanism of the eruption, the style of the eruption. So there were many aspects of that. Uh, so I spent many years working on that. What, when were you there? I started working there in 1986, and uh, uh, I've been working there up to you know, a couple of years ago. Really? Mm-hmm. Just going back every so often? Well, every so often, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. What effect has that eruption had on the people who are still there? Well, there were virtually no people left. All right. Uh, and so new people came into the area. There was, the area was abandoned for several years and then new people settled in and they had really no information or no idea about the, about the volcano or what had gone before, so there was kind of like a, a clean slate. When you go and do some work in a place like that, do you feel mm-hmm. that you're more a historian or a geologist? Well, you're really more a geologist, but uh, it's a matter of time scales uh, because you're, uh, you know, you're dealing with the geologic process, but it's uh, occurring in the, in the, uh, uh, in recent time. So it, it is documented to some extent by, in historical records. So it, it's you, you kind of mix history and and, and geology. Uh, basically, you look for all uh, information you can get, whether it is from the layers in the earth or whether or from books or publications or uh, uh, whatever sources from one of the world 's most famous mm-hmm. volcanoes to Vesuvius mm-hmm. over the other side, which mm-hmm. has to be one of the other ones as well yeah, yeah this is all Vesuvius on this in this area here, and uh, that's, um, that's a very very important volcano. Why is it so important? Uh, it's closely associated with the history of volcanology. Uh, some of the earliest uh, studies were done in Vesuvius. Some of the earliest ideas about the volcanism. 
Uh, of course, the Pompeii eruption, or the eruption that destroyed Pompeii in 79 AD is a very classic uh, example, because that's the first eruption that is described uh, by an eyewitness, you know, where we have documentation. And uh, the many aspects of Vesuvius that are important is, for example, here's an image of Vesuvius from 1638. <coughs> it's and, a uh, cross-section. You can see inside right, the yeah, volcano. This is a, a scholar, Athanasius Kircher, who was a Jesuit priest in the Vatican, and he uh, uh, wrote a book called Mundus Subterraneus about, uh, uh, about the volcanoes, published in 1638. And in it, he had this view of Vesuvius, and he makes a, he's the first one to make a cross-section and a revolutionary idea. And he, um, uh, he, he shows it like an oven in, inside. You know, Is it furnace. scientifically accurate? No, it's not. <laughs> the, 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 that was the general view then, that volcanoes were like a furnace. But we know that's not true. We know it's a magma or molten rock inside. But he also is the first to make a section of the entire Earth, as you see in, in that lower diagram. So they're of historical significance as you know, advances in thinking. This well, one not necessarily advances, but at least to reflect the state of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So you can track through history your predecessors mm -hmm. in your field, if you like, and That's see right. how the thinking has changed. Mm -hmm. This one, the volcanoes on the surface of the earth, they all open up and then there is this great network of, right. of paths inside oh. the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the general view at that, at that time. Well, that's what he was proposing. Yeah. Are, there, are there any Icelandic volcanoes on this picture? Well, this is purely a schematic, you know, so it's not uh, oh. meant to reflect any particular volcanoes, yeah. but rather just a kind of a schematic of the of, of cross-section of the earth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I w wanted to ask you about this one. There's a sort of very modern feel mm -hmm. to it. It's uh, got this sort of newsprint background and then this great wash of red mm -hmm. ink over it forming the shape of the volcano and the yeah. magma flow, presumably. Who's mm -hmm. this one by? Well, Andy Warhol. That's really? an Andy Warhol original. And uh, he's, of course, very famous as the father of the pop art movement. And he did that in 1985, and he was in Italy for five months. And, and he's more famous for uh, soup cans and things than right. volcanoes, well, he right? Did only one. He only <laughs> did um, this one. But the, in, it, he, in 1985, he, of course, Vesuvius wasn't erupting, but he, make, make, uh, he makes an eruption, and he uses um, the eruption of Mount St. Helens in the United ah. States in 1980. So that was just a few years before he yeah, made that. Yeah, a few years before, and he used this eruption um, as, a, as a basis for reconstructing the Vesuvius eruption, and he did a, you know, a terrific job on that. Can we go around the other corner? Sure. <clears throat> you have a great long table filled with lots of different rock samples. That's right, yeah. They're all the rocks of Iceland. There are, there are not that many rocks of Iceland, uh, rock types. Right. And they're all large, and it makes a diff very different impression. In you know, most museums, you've got little pieces, but once you make them nice and big like this, it's more, more of an impression, and also you can't carry it away with you. <laughs> That's true, you can't steal them, they're too heavy. 
But you can touch them as well. Yes, yeah, that's that's right. People like to touch them and you know roll them around, and uh, it makes a big difference. You get, get you kind of get a feel for it. So it's a, it's a very good uh, teaching tool. Uh, it's we don't want to make it too complicated. And, you know, we have uh, explanations of all of the all of the rock types here uh, uh, on the board, and um, and yeah, make what's, it uh, make it obvious. What's this? This bright red one. Well, we, it's a gorgeous colour. It's the colour of your building, uh, in fact. That's right, yeah. It, it's called Pompeii Red, this, this colour, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's the name? Yeah, uh, the colour. Yeah. Uh, these three here are jasper, and uh, jasper is uh, not volcanic, but, uh, but it's a rock made by hot spring activity. And so it's silica, 99% silica, and it's formed when hot water comes up fissures, and uh, the hot water carries a lot of silica, and then it, uh, silica is precipitated on the walls of the fissures and gradually closes the fissures and leaves the silica behind and um, makes jasper, which is this. And the trace of iron will give it the color, the red color. So that's... Um, but the other object there, the other rock there, is the same, but it's blue. It's a different colour. Well, I would say that's green. Green. Okay. <laughs> it may be a trace of copper or manganese that will ah. give it the green colour. Yeah. But they only need that less than a percent to... Mm -hmm. But otherwise it's all silicon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of this yeah, everywhere this, in Iceland. This is, this is andesite. This rock here. It's called andesite. And that's a, it's an important rock in Iceland. Maybe 10% of the rocks in Iceland are, are of that composition. Another ten percent are, are rhyolite, mm -hmm. and then eighty percent basalt. Basalt, yeah, the, the most that. most common rock. Yeah, this looks like uh, an aer an aero chocolate bar mm -hmm. to me. It has all the bubbles. That's right. That's from the top layer of the basalt, from the top part. So the the top will have uh, there's a lot of gases in the in the lava when it's flowing, and the gases are forming bubbles and they rise to the surface and they form this. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, and then it solidifies and preserves the uh, the gas cavities. I see. Mm -hmm. So that's why it looks like an aero chopped. Through. That's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just finally, then on the the museum here, why did you choose to situate it in Stickersholm? Well, this is where I was born and where I grew up, and so I wanted to bring it here, yeah. and nothing else. And what what do you hope that it will achieve? Well, I hope it will act as an interface between the scientists with, and who acquire the knowledge and the general public. Well, he'd be a pretty good guest to have at a dinner party, wouldn't he, old uh, Harold Ursugathson? What an amazing project to found this museum just a couple of years ago to bring together all sorts of artworks, sketches, engravings, screen prints with rocks and things that he's collected from volcanic eruptions and from history. Um, that's, that's rocks, that's pottery, that's stalactites. It's all sorts of different things. And to bring them all together in the same room, I think, is an absolute master stroke because what it does is it says these are all part of the same conversation. 
the rocks are not stuck in a lab or behind a glass case, accessible only by scientists and geologists in white gloves. And equally, the artworks are not stuck in a stuffy, white-walled gallery uh, looked on only by art critics and curators. They are all part of the same phenomenon, which is people looking at volcanoes, looking at mountains that explode, and thinking, well, gee, that's really interesting. I want to think about that and interpret that in some way. Now, if you're a scientist, you're going to look at magma formation or the compositions of the different rocks that the volcanoes spew out. And if you're an artist, well, you're going to sit there and paint it. But it's all part of the same thing. It's humans looking at their environment and thinking, wow, this is pretty special. I'm going to somehow record it and think about it. Now, the job that I have for the rest of my stay here in Iceland is to make sure I can survive without getting swallowed up by an earthquake or ignited by some lava flow or consumed by a pyroclastic ash cloud. I can see mountains in the distance with uh, snow or glaciers on them and, and cliffs much nearer by. And is that grey smoke rising from one of those hills over there?